This one's the reason to behold podcast, hosted by Tolly Talks and Arnold Reasons. They're just gonna get a lottery of different types of intros until we find the one that lands, right? How are we gonna know which one lands? We'll know. It will hit. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it's your first time, welcome aboard. If it's not, welcome back. Um, and what are we doing, Tolly? We are on a journey going through the second book that you wrote, I believe. This is the first book. This is the second book, isn't it? Do you know what? Technically, it might actually be my third. Skeen, Hidden Books. Okay. We're going through one of Arnold's many books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Called After the Auto Call. Yeah. Um, And we're just going through, reading little bits of it, chapter by chapter, just to understand what he wrote, why he wrote it. Give you guys a little bit of a preview, some encouragement. Go check it out. Buy it for your friends. Available on Amazon. Search after the article by Arnold Reasons. That's all you need to know. You should find it. And into the meat of it. Where are we up to, Tori? We're at chapter one, right? Chapter one. Chapter one. Imagine that. We've done, what, a good couple of episodes so far. We're only just starting chapter one. I think it's going to be like, you know, when you're in church and the pastor's like, I've got five <laughs> points. And then like two hours later, they're like, point two. And then you realize you're going through like four points really, really quickly. <laughs> no, for real, for real. Um, chapter one, chapter one, made in the image of God. Should we go a paragraph at a time? That's in paragraph, paragraph each, sorry. Hmm. In 2020, just as the world was entering the global COVID-19 pandemic, my world was completely changed. Not just because of the public health crisis crisis that sent the world into a tailspin, but more so because I had just become a father. I'd spent years as an uncle to many and a mentor to a few, but now I got to see my very own extension of life in this world. There's something special about being there for the entire journey, from the thinking stage, when my wife and I would talk about having children someday, to conception when we did the physical and intimate work needed to make the pregnancy an earthly possibility, to the nurturing stage, looking after my wife's well-being as she carried our unborn child and making sure their needs were met, to the eventual birth where we finally met for the first time face to face. It was a long and meaningful journey with lots of highs and lows, ups and downs, but when we got to finally meeting her face to face, there was nothing but joy and gladness. She was a physical, spiritual, and emotional extension of me and my wife in this world. Her genetic makeup, physical appearance, and even traits and tendencies that would later develop in life. Those were in many ways an extension of our personal makeups. She was made in our image, in our likeness. In Genesis 1, we read about a similar experience. In fact, we read about the original creation account when God created the first human beings, it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 27 Now what did it actually look like for God to create man in his image? Like what did that process actually look like? 
How much time did it take? Was God tired by the end of it? Of course not. He's God. He never tires. He never anything. <laughs> what were the thoughts on God's mind when he was physically making it happen? Truth is, I don't know the answer to any of these questions, but I believe there are a few things we can learn from our loosely comparable experience of childbirth. From my own first-hand experience, our daughter was born with no regret. The pains of pregnancy and the practical work throughout the pregnancy journey weren't worthy of mention compared to the joy of meeting her. Not because the pregnancy journey was easy and smooth sailing all the way. On the contrary, there were some really rough moments which were extremely physically taxing, especially on my wife. But all of that was worth it because of how valuable our daughter was to us. To us, she was worth the cost of her creation. We were excited to meet her, took responsibility for her well-being and had committed to raising her up to full maturity in this world. No, I don't know what no, I don't really know what your perception of God and your creation is, but I want to reassure you of a few important things. Number one, regardless of the earthly circumstances surrounding your birth, who your parents are and how you ended up in this world, you were not an accident or an afterthought. God planned for your existence. See Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16. You were made in the image of God, meaning you were made to be an extension, or better put, a reflection of who God is on earth. What does he look like? How does he interact with others? What is love according to his definition? How would God approach X, Y, or Z? This will be referred to as the God nature throughout this book and the supporting E course. Number three, God isn't a runaway baby daddy. <laughs> He didn't just create us, then abandon us to figure it out ourselves. Instead, he was full of joy at our creation, and it was his desire to relate to his creation on a personal and closely connected level. Hmm. Do you know, I think, even just reading over this, I think I can remember one of the things that was strong in my thoughts as I was writing it, and hmm. it was just the emphasis on how important it is to to be certain about our origins and our beginnings mm. um, and especially from the point of view of like the reality is we live in we live in this world and we all come from different stories and situations right mm. um, on an earthly level some of us were born out of wedlock um, one parent was or wasn't around maybe no parents were around um, there's just all sorts of dysfunction and brokenness that we may have experienced and come from. Hmm. And a lot of the time, like firsthand, even just from my own experiences, I know that that can affect how you can view yourself, hmm. how you see yourself, the things that you think about yourself. Hmm. Um, because I think somebody who is, somebody who is born into a situation where from their birth up until their time of flocking the, their parents nest they were confident and secure and sure that they were born in circumstances that weren't accidental that weren't mm. um they weren't a mistake they were loved they were appreciated they were valued and all those kind of things it affects how you go out into this world or can affect mm. how you go out mm. into this world sorry um and i know that not just from my own experiences but even from the encounters i've had with other people from varying experiences too and i think I know for me personally, one of the big things that gave me 
has shifted perspective for the good and has helped me in life overall um, is just being reminded of his truth that mm. we're not born as accidents. He knew us before we were knitted in our parent mother's womb and he had a plan and a purpose. And so our earthly circumstances don't dictate Mm-mm. our earthly purpose and value and things like that. And I think it's an important distinction to make to separate those things because it's only when you realize that, no, I'm actually, I was sent here with purpose. Like regardless of which machine I came out of and how it looked and stuff like that, <laughs> it, mm. it's, there was, there was meaning behind me being here and there was also love um and no regret i think that's that's a really important point even when you think about jesus because jesus came with probably one of the like the biggest destinies of any human ever but Mm. if you think about the circumstances around his birth he wasn't born in a palace he wasn't born Mm. even into like a married family right like it was a bit mm. of a he was born in suspicious situ- circumstances exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly so he said I got pregnant by the holy ghost holy you what know, he said what <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good point it's a really good point you know so it's it's just interesting that that is that is how God chose mm. to bring the saviour into the world mm. You know, in a in a like a stable, in a farm kind of thing. You know, mm. he wasn't even born into a bed. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like if someone that important could be born into those circumstances. Mm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that it feels fair. It doesn't mean that it's a great thing. But like you said, it doesn't mm. mean that that is the that that frames the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that you can't go on to do great things. Yeah, yeah. You know, and. It talks about, you know, how God uses the the foolish things to confound the wise. So sometimes things that look ridiculous, that Mm. make no sense, that is Mm. the very thing that God will use mightily and powerfully. Because you see it all through history. You know, God, it says that God is no respecter of persons. Mm. He will use people who are willing to be used regardless of background. Even like Moses, who, you know, was a great leader of Israel. He was a murderer, right? But that that was Mm. part of his past but he still wrote like the first five books of the Bible. So, you know. And even to add to that, arguably abandoned at birth, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had, yeah. So it doesn't doesn't disqualify you, I think is is what I would say. Because it's not like it doesn't matter. Like these things impact people, you know. Yeah. But it doesn't disqualify you from from the calling that God has put on you and from God using you powerfully. Agreed. Agreed. Made in his image. Going back to the first creation account, we see a few key examples of how far reaching the God nature, i.e. how we reflected God's ways as his children, was in all areas of Adam and Eve's lives, including... Thirty-one. But <laughs> closed a bit. Um, their God-given mandate to rule over all of creation and earth. Genesis one twenty-six. Their creative ability to name things that were once nameless. Genesis.
Genesis 2, 19 to 20. Their godly work ethic, which needed no managerial oversight, Genesis 2, 15. Now, I'm not someone who would argue that life as it was before sin entered the garden is a literal reflection of what we should be aiming for and getting back to. Since that might suggest that after we surrender and decide to follow Jesus, we ought to quit our jobs, sell our homes, strip naked and look for the nearest zoo to make our homes there. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I was reading, I was thinking, hey, did I disagree with that now? Um, but no. Interesting. I, yeah, I, I, no, but I get the point and I still agree with it. Um, what would you have disagreed with? No, it's because I heard, I heard the first part of it, not all of it. Mm. Um, so yeah, but jokes aside, I get what you mean. I get what you mean because I read that first bit. <laughs> and I was like, huh, and then I read that. I was like, yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, got you. Um, so there's a lesson if you do read the book. Don't cancel me. Until read the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can cancel after. <laughs> yeah, but at least at least know what you're canceling. For sure. Um, but jokes aside, in looking at what life was like before sin entered the world. I really believe there are some key observations we can make that should give us cause to think and reflect on whether we've missed the point of what Christianity and more importantly, a living, breathing and vibrant relationship with God actually looks like. Here are a few examples of my own key observations from looking at life before the fall of man. There's no mention of Adam and Eve having structured routine meetings with God once or twice a week. But I'm not saying they didn't happen at all or even that the or even that those are not definitely not good things. I'm saying we don't see it documented. Why do you think that is? What do you mean by that? <laughs> You're going to make me open up everything, bro. I yeah. say it, though. Um, what I meant is literally what I said. So <laughs> when we think about... <laughs> I said what I said. I said now, what when I said. You think, <laughs> I think when we think about the typical quote-unquote Christian experience... It's usually associated with you go to church once or twice a week, maybe on a Sunday, maybe you have a midweek Bible study. Maybe you've also got um, a few other things that you may involve yourself in. Right. Mm. And I think the truth is that not necessarily for all, but I know that there are enough people who have the experience of just equating their Christianity or their expectations of Christianity Mm. based around those meetings. And so it's almost like we go to meet with God in those places mm. or in those and meetings rather than we live lives seven days a week dwelling with God. But these are just opportunities for us to come together corporately to, you know, bless one another and also worship and all of that kind of stuff in a corporate mm. setting. Mm. Um, so I think that's what I was really trying to get at. Like looking at what we do see in the garden, we don't see anything that looks anything like that um and like i said it's not to say that they're bad things overall and that they they um definitely didn't happen because obviously we have what we have documented it doesn't mean it's the exhaustive list of what did and didn't happen but i think it's a good question to ask um especially if this is one of the key examples of what life looked like before sin entered the earth um i think it gives us a good good thing to good points to reflect on at least I think there was also only two of them, though. So that's that's another that's another part of it. And I think that a lot of the things that we see now are almost yeah. like adjusted after the curse, if that makes sense. 
but how do, what do you mean by that so i think that if we think about i don't because if we think about before the curse right everybody on this planet would have been quote unquote saved or the family of god or whatever it is there's no sin there's no curse so like everybody is going to be living that life like i don't know if we'd even need the church in that situation because everybody is the church there's no saved unsaved there's no mission there's no there's none of that so it's very interesting and when you say the church what do you mean as well so when i say the church i mean even like the set apart body of christ not the church building and the church routine but like the fact is like everybody would in effect be the body of christ or would we even have had christ because you only need christ because there's sin <sighs> we're trying to unpack theological things and it's not even 9am so I, no, I'm, no, also, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also still getting my brain into gear no 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 for sure I think so the thing is for me the way I see it whether there were two people in the garden the bunch of animals whatever like may, other people that may have existed as well I don't know right we only see these two mm. but I think that whether it's the two of them, because he says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. So we can, if I, you can have a so-called gathering mm. in his name mm. with the smallest two people, right? Mm. And is that Old Testament or New Testament though? I just think that's true. Period. But I think, I think also if we think about Old Testament, the gathering was different. You know, you had you the priestly, you had the priestly order. You had there was a lot of different things about the old testament versus the new testament so in the old testament i don't think you could just have two people gathered because that's not how it works you had to go to the temple but what were we talk? i think we're talking about two different things though because what i'm speaking about is just like so the church is a reflection of the called out ones those that are a part of his family essentially his kids right hmm. and and i think from a from where we are in time we look at that mainly from the view of we are separate from the world called to be different and i.e we are the ones that represent holiness the called out ones mm. the set apart ones right mm. but i think it goes deeper than that because we're also ambassadors <coughs> and representatives of his kingdom which is true from the garden even before sin right made in his image i.e they were made to reflect him and his likeness in the earth which he created them in, and that was before sin but, and but so, I think that but I think that the difference is though is that the whole earth was his kingdom before anyway. But in sinning, Adam and Eve gave dominion over to the devil. So but they, but they still had a responsibility to represent him since they were made in his likeness, right? Yeah, but and it's to represent like his ways. It's like being a prince at home. Do you see what I mean? It feels like now we are we're aliens in a foreign land. Yeah. Before, it was like being back home. But you can also be a prince and misrepresent who you, the, the family you come from, even in your home city or in your hometown. And that's the point that I'm making. But that's exactly what they did. That, and that's my point. Mm. Is that the job that they had was to represent it. him and his ways 
which they did up until a certain point when they decided to rebel and do what represented otherwise. Um, and then obviously sin in itself multiplied throughout the, um, throughout the earth. And I think that's what then makes the clearer distinction between those that are representative of him and his ways, his kingdom, his nature, his likeness, and those that aren't. I think, I don't think it's comparable in terms of the gathering of the saints between what was happening then, even pre, pre-fall, and what happens now. What are you saying is not comparable? So I think, so for example, we say there's no mention of Adam and Eve having structured routine meetings with God once or twice a week, right? Yeah. And that's what I'm saying, like, their relationship with God was totally different than anyway. He came to walk with them in the cool of the day. Do you see what yep. I mean? Like, they were built, that was like, that was like the perfect version of relationship that they had, right? And what I'm saying is, yeah, go on. No, go on, finish. Um, there was no distinction between saved and unsaved, for example. There was no, you know, people have to surrender and submit in that sense. So everything that happened after that also comes from a slightly different place to where they were back then. So I don't know how comparable it is, if that makes sense. So how do you think that affects what I said? So I think that you're comparing two things that aren't really comparable. So even when you look at... Yeah, go on. I don't, I don't think I am. Okay. Because what I'm highlighting is that before sin entered the earth... Mm-hmm. we don't see them having structured routine meetings once or twice a week right? and what I'm saying and I'm is, not is, and I'm also I'm yeah, also not sorry. saying they didn't happen at all because I wasn't there right yes and all I've said is why do we think that is because like you mentioned we see him walking in the pool of the day we see like probably what I think is a way more intimate relationship with him than what I described when we first started talking about this the nominal version of Christianity and relationship with God that we have in some places mm-hmm. where we only equate our relationship with him with meeting him once or twice a week, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't speak against the gathering of the saints. It has nothing to do with that. I would be a, a, a heretic if I was to say that the gathering of the saints was somehow a wicked thing. It's a great thing. But I think there's a difference between limiting our view on how we relate to God to just once or twice a week meetings when before sin even entered the earth we have a clear example that doesn't seem to demonstrate that as normal practice I think what I'm saying is is that before sin entered the earth it was a very different situation anyway so some of the things that are necessary now were not necessary then And that's why I'm saying it's not comparable. But I think you're misunderstanding what I'm saying here and the application of it. Because I'm not saying that things before sin entered the earth weren't very different. I agree with that. That's something that we all agree on, right? I'm speaking specifically about a nominal view of Christianity or even if you don't want to call it Christianity, a nominal view of how we relate to God where we just view it limited and contained within the confines of the once or twice a week meetings. And I'm just asking a question. And I think that by itself stands on its own. What I don't necessarily agree with is the comparison of that to what Adam and Eve did because they lived in a totally different world to what we did. 
And that's why I'm saying I don't agree that that comparison is right. I agree with you that the nominal view of Christianity once or twice a week is not right. I agree with you on that. I don't agree so, with the comparison. What I'm struggling to understand is the comparison you don't agree with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm, what I'm saying is, is the structured, re like what you're saying is like the church on a Sunday that we know as or what I'm understanding from what you're saying is the church that we have at the moment where you just go on a Sunday, maybe if you're super saint, you might go on a Wednesday as well. Yeah, <laughs> that once yeah. or twice a week. What, what I'm understanding is you're saying, well, we don't see Adam and Eve having a gathering like that, right? <clears throat> what I'm saying is, is that of course they didn't have gatherings like that because any time they were with anybody, yeah, that's like church for them because everybody is, everybody's saved and sanctified. The two of them were firstly the only people there, but then also there was no sin, right? Because imagine if there was no sin in this world now, yeah, we'd all be walking around holy we wouldn't need the teachings of jesus that say love your neighbor as yourself because we also go to church to get taught some of these things etc etc so there's there's all parts of that and what i'm saying is it's like they didn't need that because they were that so two things i'll say to that one is do you think from what i've said mm. that i'm saying that the going to the meetings once or twice a week are wrong that's not that's not what I'm that's not what I'm saying is the the thing I disagree with. I think okay, so you've done the, a good job of the... hedging against that by what you've said, but what I'm saying is is comparing it to Adam and Eve is I don't but, think it's a fair comparison. But I th I think that's where if we're not gonna if we're so I, I don't I don't know how we benefit from seeing life before sin entered the earth if we're not gonna draw lessons observations and things that we can consider especially if we agree that like to a large degree what we are striving for is to be restored to his original design right because i.e yeah go on sorry go on, no go no that's fine go on i think because we can never be restored fully to that original design because if we could then people wouldn't die right if we could then what we see in terms of the curse that would be restored but we can't be restored to that so okay the scriptures speak about how he is the image of the invisible god jesus mm -hmm. i think it's colossians mm -hmm. 1 15 that says that and i think there's another verse that also echoes the same thing and it also speaks about how he predestined us to be conformed to the image of the son Mm -hmm. The sun is the image of God. We know that it's an image that reflects his likeness perfectly. And we know that our lives on earth involve a sanctification process that causes us to progressively look more and more like him and less and less like the departed version that we look like as a result of sin and all sorts, right? I don't think there's anything in here and even in referring to the experience that we see with Adam and Eve before sin entered the world that suggests that we in our earthly lifetimes will necessarily become a 100% version of what that looks like right because we're being prepared for his kingdom there's a transformation that's going to happen to our bodies which is going to affect us and give us the full restoration that prepares us for the other side of eternity right but 
I still don't think that that affects what I've said. And I think the I think second point I was going to say is that mm. I believe if you read on, I'd be interested to hear if you still think that what I've said is a problem, let me just say. I think... Because I don't know what you're beefing with, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think, for me, it's the comparison to life before the fall to what we see as life after the fall. And even in terms of, like, church and structure and things like that. Yeah. Because you're saying, I'm saying we don't see it documented, for example. It's like, well, of course it wasn't documented because they didn't have the same structures that we have now. Interesting. They didn't even have so, so even if you just acknowledge and you you accept that, right? That except they didn't what? have it. If you're saying that they didn't have that, because I'm not even saying they mm -hmm. definitely didn't have it, right? I'm just saying we don't see it, right? Because whatever's documented isn't necessarily an exhaustive list of every single detail of what happened in the garden and all of that stuff, right? Yes. But what you're saying is, why do you think it's not documented? And that yeah. makes it sound like because it's not important, because that's not how things are meant to be. And that's, so, that's the bit I probably disagree with. So <coughs> the thing is, that's where I would disagree with what, the conclusion you've come to. Okay. Because I haven't given an answer on why that is. I've just asked the question and I'm not trying friend, to ask a leading question. Go on. My friend, you're a master of marketing. You, and no, this of isn't, all people. This isn't, this isn't marketing. By the way, brother. if you haven't, from this, ep from this <laughs> if you haven't bought the book, you should probably buy it now to see what this controversy <laughs> is all about. Uh, Amazon.co.uk or Amazon in your country, Arnold Reasons after the article. Um, <laughs> that is marketing. But, <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, I'm not, I'm, the thing is, I wasn't even trying to be tricky with what I said. Because for me, I think you can observe something. Because this is the thing about scripture, right? Sometimes the way that we read and we talk about scripture is you don't see that in the scriptures, so it's not biblical. I don't take that view. Because, in fact, let me even take that back. You may be able to say something is not quote-unquote biblical, but that doesn't mean that it is unrighteous or it's not something consistent with his way. Two different things. And I don't think we ever we tend to make that distinction because something being described or mentioned as an example in the Bible, like we have examples of murder and all sorts of wicked things. We don't turn around and say, okay, now I'm going to fall after this practice because it's biblical. And likewise, we don't see things like Wi-Fi in the Bible, but that doesn't mean that Wi-Fi is now somehow evil. Do you get what I'm saying? And so I say all of that to say, even when I'm talking here about the whole example of Adam and Eve before sin entered the world, all I'm saying is that one of the observations that stood out to me is that we don't see a... Because I told you what, if we did see that there was a once a week or twice a week designated meeting, I promise you, 1000%, that would become the justification that many people now use to say, this is something we have to do. It was done before even sin entered the earth. Like, in that, it becomes almost like a justification because we see it there. I'm saying, we just don't see it there. Maybe it did happen, maybe it didn't. However, and that's why I said the reading on, I think, would be helpful to, to want to see if you still have a problem with what you think I'm saying. Because what I then went on to say was, instead, we see God so involved in every fiber of Adam and Eve's lives that he gives Adam a job to both look after the garden and take responsibility for it. 
Genesis 2.15. Converse with man to give him dietary and nutritional guidance, Genesis 2.16-17. Commented on the aspects of man's well-being and need for relationships with others like him, Genesis 2.18. Created and brought to Adam various animals just to see what he would name them, Genesis 2.19. All of these examples are just everyday life issues, the normal day-to-day stuff we deal with to this very day. Work, health and nutrition, mental well-being, relationships, family and recreation. But how does this compare with what we think about God and what we think he cares about? I think that your setup is quite different to talking about the sacred-secular divide. That's what I would say. But what are you talking about with the sacred-secular divide, bro? So your setup sounds more like... And this is me reading your setup, right? And I can be very wrong. I would love to hear what other people think about the setup. Yeah. The setup sounds like we don't see them meeting once or twice a week. And it's not documented that they did that. Why do you think it's not documented? Right? Which sounds like to me, yeah. But I think that's the problem. It sounds like to you, God. I'll let you finish first. Sorry, my bad. It sounds like to me, it's a little bit of a dig at meeting once or twice a week. I think, for example, if you'd said... We don't see their relationship be with God being restricted to once or twice a week meetings, and then for the rest of the time they were they were like godless. That makes more sense than with the secular the sacred secular divide because that's actually in line. So, I personally think you're reading assumptions into what I said. That's that's what I honestly think, and I think okay. that I think that. If you just take what I said, even including what we just read in addition to it as well, for more context, kind of like how we read not just one verse, but the the before and the after and stuff, right? I think here's what I've actually said. There is no mention of Adam and Eve having structured routine meetings with God once or twice a week. That's the first statement I've made, right? The next statement I said straight after it. Now, I'm not saying they didn't happen at all, or even that those are definitely not good things. I'm saying we don't see it documented. Why do you think that is? In saying that, even just by itself, like, I I think... I've just asked a question. I've mentioned an observation. provocative question, mate. But the thing is, and maybe people will be provoked from it, right? But I think what I would then encourage anybody who's provoked is to question, why are you provoked by what is said? Because all I'm doing is talking about an observation that I've made, right? And it seems like the, it seems like there is a, like, hey, this this is the other thing I would even add to that, right? Even forgetting the rest of what I've said thereafter, Hmm. the listeners may or may not know much about what my personal setup is when it comes to church quote unquote meetings, right? But one thing I'll ask you, which is black and white, do I ever attend meetings with other Christians? From what you know, this is where ask that. this is where the lawyer version of Arnold comes in, right? Arnold is a why is this the lawyer, lawyer version, bro? Because the way that you've posed your question, my friend, is what we would call leading the witness in a court case. Okay, is okay, what I was saying. Let me, let me yeah, you me, know. Let me, let me. Okay, so let me ask you in a que- in a way that maybe hopefully you'll be more satisfied with. Do I ever attend structured 
routine meetings once or twice a week, a month, whatever the frequency is. Maybe even do worse than once or twice a week. Let's just go as far as that. Do you from ever, what you do know? Yeah. No. Or it what? Do you? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> Did something change? I don't know. Do you? No. Bro, I don't listen, I don't attend a Sunday service every single week. And I'm not a part of a Sunday service congregation in that sense. Okay. Right. So so in the traditional setup of what most people will define as and assume to be your relationship with church. No, I do not. Right? However, I regularly meet with the saints. Right? Sometimes Those are in two formal different settings that you asked me. Sometimes in formal settings, which are structured routine meetings. But they're not sometimes, they're not routine for you though. No, but the, the, I think you're misunderstanding what I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. Something can happen routinely. We then choose our frequency of attendance. If you don't attend church one Sunday in a week, or sorry, one Sunday in a year, that doesn't mean that you are not attending at all. No, right? but that means it's not your routine. So, like, if you're not, let's say, but I'm know, the one. But I think you're misunderstanding what I wrote, though, right? Because I'm speaking about the fact that there are structured routine meetings your attendance to them does and doesn't influence it because i like even as someone that maybe does attend a traditional church setup right are there ever sundays that you miss oh yeah does that now mean that you're not a routine attender or well, in fact does that does that now disqualify you from saying that you attend structured routine meetings should i even say that's a better way to put it i think it would so let's say more than half of the time I'm not there, then yes, it would exclude me from saying I routinely attend church. But yes. I'm not talking about routinely <coughs> attending. I'm saying that the meetings occur in a structure. Yeah. Bro, you're you're upset with what I've written. Is there? It's black and white. Bro, I'm not upset with what you're written with what you've written. <laughs> because I agree that in the in the spirit behind, I think what I think you're trying to say in terms of the sacred secular divide, I agree. Our relationship with God should not be limited to church. I agree with that. But I'm not even what talking it, about a sacred secular divide, I think, in what you're describing. But you talk I'm about saying, it later. I'm saying if I look on. at the whole chapter, that's yeah, what it's that's about, fine. Right? But I'm, I'm telling you, what I'm talking about here is the example of the nominal Christianity where we only equate... Bro, you're shaking your head, bro. Because like, you're smirking, think, mate. Because you're smirking. <laughs> how am I smirking? <laughs> Watch the video back. <laughs> Look, personally, I don't see what the problem is, right? Because I don't think that I've been unclear. I think that what I've said, even it's as someone clear. who doesn't, I think even as someone who doesn't maybe attend the, who doesn't attend quote unquote church gatherings in the traditional sense as frequently as some people may expect a Christian to, right for me that's neither here nor there because i'm not here to enforce my views and my personal approaches to those sorts of things on other people and equally i don't demonize those that do um maybe attend uh, attending that sort of a setup i'm still friends with you bro <laughs> i think that you you think i've read assumptions into it i think, I think you that you've read your assumptions out of it because as someone who is not inside your head, that's a bit how this reads. That's all I'm saying. But I think it's interesting that you say that, though, because 
that's you i think you're the only person that i've spoken to reading this part of the book and stuff like that who has said that or who has felt that way who has expressed that but i think let's i would Mm. what i'd like to do is i'd like to take this bit and show it to a few people who don't know any of the context yeah and see what they have to say because i'm more than happy to if i've read too much into it more than happy to admit that that's fine and what i would say as long as you're going to give it to them with the parts that follow and the parts that are before because i think that's context not don't just give them just this paragraph and i think this is the other thing as well one thing i will also say is i'm not even going to say that people won't be provoked at all because like i said if you're provoked it's a good thing maybe there's something to think about and maybe that provocation isn't from me because I've literally asked the question. I've made an observation and asked the question. And then even after that, I've gone on to express what, what I think is the important point. Because this is the thing. The overriding thing is whether you go to church once or twice a week frequently or not, whether you are at every single Bible study for the whole of your life till kingdom come, whether you're casting out demons in his name, whether you're doing many mighty works in his name, none of that stuff matters if you're not connected to him. And that's the overriding point because he said it expressly. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? Cast out demons, do many miracles, mighty works. And he's going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. So I hope people are provoked because I would rather people be provoked from reading something like this to actually, to actually, I think I would hope that their provocation would lead them to actually answer the question. And to reflect on the question and reflect on their own lives and see what the real application is. Because for me, like, like I said, I don't really care whether someone decides to go to a once or twice a week thing or have a setup that's similar to mine, right? What I care about is that we have a genuine and authentic relationship where we know him and he knows us. And when we meet him that day, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he's not going to tell us to depart from him. And that's where I think the issue really lies is that. The problem and the problem, the real problem isn't even so much about what your setup is, because I believe when you are genuinely connected to him, he will lead you in what your setup needs to be. And the setup might not look the same for every single person. And I think that's okay. But if we're not connected to him, whether we're attending or not, whether we are in what is acceptable as a Christian setup or not, like we're going to hear the part from me. And that's the most important thing, right? So, I agree with you. My my question is this: You said, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I agree with you. I think my question is where you say that, you know, that's the question that you're asking. What do you feel like the question that is that you're asking is from that paragraph? What do you mean? So, for me, the question that you're asking is, why do you think we don't see documented weekly meetings or whatever, twice a week meetings between Adam and Eve and God? That's what it feels like the question that you're asking me is. What what is the question that you feel like you're asking? Yeah, why don't you think that we see it documented? Okay. Because for me, like, they didn't have need for it. That's why I don't so, see it documented. So, you know, that's that's the answer that you come to, right? 
you say because you don't think they had need for it. Mm-hmm. I would say, I think we probably don't see it documented because we see that he wants involvement in more than that. And that does not speak against the meetings. And I think this is the important thing to emphasize on, right? Hence why I said, I'm not saying they didn't happen at all. I'm not there, bro. I wasn't in the, I wasn't in the garden. They could, bro, they could have been, they could have literally been, as much as we're saying that he dwelled with him and this and the other, like they could have, they could have amongst themselves said, okay, every evening we're going to come together and we're going to just sit with him in one way, shape, but, form or another. They could not, have decided that we're going to reflect on the things that he said with us. And I, th- I don't think that that's something that is like, they would not need that. But because sorry, don't, don't you think that that's what they're talking about when it says that God came to walk with them in the call of the day? For example. Let's open the scripture that you're talking about. It's Genesis 3. <coughs> um, I think it's from like verse 8 where he talks, that's the call of the day, but, but you can read from wherever. So I'll go from verse 6. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God had called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself, and I hid myself. Mm. What was it about it that you wanted to say? So for me, when I read that, it sounds like this wasn't like a irregular occurrence. This is part of what they did day to day. But this time, when it came to it, they had a different response, which is why God's like, where are you? Because like, this is usually what we do. And that's what I'm saying, like, I don't I wouldn't say they had church services no they I don't I don't think that they necessarily did but I think that their life was really fully worship because there was no sin there was no knowledge of good and evil there was just good and if we are in our original state that's what it is but we don't live in our original state so that's where actually we have to make that space and that time separately even in a church setting but I think that I agree with what you're saying as a general thing that, look, God wants to be involved in every part of our lives because that was the original design. So when you ask me, like, why don't we see those meetings structured? It's because they didn't know anything else. That's what they did all the time. They were regularly meeting and communing with God, worshipping God anyway. Like, that's that was their life. That's all they knew was good. And that's what is good. That's, that's where I'm coming from with it. And that's where I think it doesn't necessarily fit with the context of the chapter about the secular sacred divide. So sorry, so with this, these verses, mm. I'm just trying to grap- grapple what you said at, um, about its relevance. So you're saying that by them saying, or by God saying to them, where are you? You're seeing it as, I guess, something that can be likened to, this is what we normally do we normally meet with one another and you're not here. It sounds like they had some kind of pattern or routine because it's like if they normally hear God coming, what would they normally do? They would normally go to him. They would normally be with him. But now there is sin in the world, so they heard God coming and they were afraid because you don't see anywhere else that they were afraid or that anything like that. 
<coughs> so you feel like that's an example of a structured routine meeting Mm-mm. that they had Mm-mm. with Mm-mm. Not a structured thing, right? In terms of they, when they met with God, did they have praise and worship for 25 minutes? And then did they do a giving? No, they didn't. Of course not. Not structured. What I'm saying is, is that they did have some form of regularity or routine with God where he would come chill with them and he'd talk to them. And that was different now because there's the curse. Now they, they want to run away from that. So you think that disagrees with what I said? I think, and this is where I would love for someone else to read this bit. What I would love <laughs> is for them to read it first, yeah? Read it first by itself, and then read it in the context of everything else that comes after and see if it fits. Because I feel like what you're asking after that, is like you say, like, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but what I'm saying is it's not documented. Why isn't it documented? I'll leave that with you to think about why it's not documented. No, but I don't just but I don't just leave them with that. I then go on to say instead, contrary to actually seeing something documented as they just meant once met once or twice a week and that was the end of it, I then go on to express he was in every So So, so whether say, they did or didn't have whether they did or didn't have the once or twice a week meeting, right? The fact is, what we do see documented is him involved in everything. So, and this is where the nuance for me personally is, right? Is if you said there's no mention of Adam and Eve just having this, right? Instead, what we see is everything. But we don't cool. even see them doing it. That's my point. So I can't even I say just. I know. But, and if but I, what you're... And Go on. If, if, I'm, if I'm making an observation based on what we do see documented, I would be reading something into it to even say that. And it would be implied in me saying we don't see them just meeting once or twice a week. No, we don't what see you're it saying at all. Is, and that's why but, I said there's no mention of it. But what you're trying to compare it to is nominal Christianity, which is just meeting once or twice a week. And that's where I think right now it feels like you are positioning having once or twice a week meetings to having God in every part of your life. And what I'm saying is it's not that. That's not what you're saying. What you're trying to say is nominal Christianity is I only do once or twice a week and I don't do anything else. But can you have God involved in every part of your life and meet with other people in his name or however you want to phrase it once or twice a week? Because I, I believe the, the answer to that is yes. I don't, right? I don't understand the question. Because I think it seems like you're saying the angle you're coming from is as though I'm saying that it's either one or the other when I think that there is a third option, right? Which is... It's not about the once or twice a week meet, uh, once or twice a week meeting. It's about is he involved in every fiber of your life? Because if he's involved in every fiber of your life, and you so happen to also be doing a once or twice a week meeting, he's involved in everything anyway. So it's not like I'm demonizing or taking away from the the goodness and the potential goodness of a meeting that happens structured once or twice a week. I feel like the way that it's written might not do what you think it does. And I disagree with you. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> you're, you're the writer. I'm the reader. So that's cool. <laughs> and, and I think, I think, yeah, yeah, I disagree. I would, I would love to get some totally objective feedback about it. Please because, do. because you're, you're the person that wrote it, right? So 
you have a way that you intended it to land. Um, 100%. 100%. But the thing is, I think I'm not just taking the view of, well, that's what I said, so that's what it means and nothing else can be um, understood from it. But like I said, like I've combed through this book with quite a few different people, um, some in more detail than others. And like I said, it's you're not the only reader that I've engaged with, which is why I'm saying, unless I'm wrong, and I've just maybe maybe all of the other readers that I've gone through it with just so happened to to not see or see maybe not see a problem with what I wrote. Mm. You're the only person that I've heard that from. So I think if if it would be a good task, I'll give it to you, bro. Take the section, take the chapter, see what people get from it. Cool. Where do we get up to? <laughs> <laughs> All of these are examples. Take a few moments to reflect on the following questions before moving forward. Does God care about the mundane and not so amazing parts of our lives? We often buy into the whole... Oh, sorry, this is you. No, you go. We often buy into the whole sacred-secular divide as though God is only interested in our church meetings, tithes and offerings and our labour to get people into his kingdom. But I would argue that whilst those things may well matter to God, his interests go far wider than we assume. And the scriptures have plenty to say to show us that he cares about way more than we normally talk about but that's another discussion we'll have to flesh out some other time going back to what we see in the garden there was a perfect harmony that existed between man and god's creative order this is why we hear god celebrate his workmanship in genesis 1 saying it was very good this was what life looked like when adam and eve were aligned with the designer's intent now just to make sure that we're on the same page on what we mean by designer's intent let's unpack that a little bit Designer's intent. <coughs> One of my current dream cars is a BMW X5 M Sport. At the time of preparing this chapter, it cost just over £60,000 to buy one of these brand new. So for anybody feeling generous enough to bless my household, we'd be happy to welcome this as a gift. Yes, yes and amen. Let's suppose you just bought one of these from your nearest BMW dealership. The dealer handed you the keys and reminded you of an important factor before you left. This car runs on diesel fuel, he said. So you're cruising on the motorway and you see the low fuel signal telling you or letting you know you need to stop, you need to top up. So you pull up to a petrol station and have an important choice to make. Do you use the unleaded fuel or diesel? Now, if you paid attention to the dealer, you chose diesel. Why? Because no matter how smart you think you are or what anybody else tells you, BMW, the manufacturer, the designer, knows what it takes to make their creation flourish and what will make their creation malfunction. If you ignore their clear instruction to use diesel and chose the unleaded instead, you'd be looking at a pretty expensive repair. This is what designer's intent is all about. God, our creator, knows what it takes for us to flourish in life as human beings. He also knows the things that will hinder us and lead us or and lead to costly malfunction. Before the fall of man, Adam and Eve represented the designer's intent. All things worked in harmony because they were living according to the manufacturer's design, instructions and guidelines. So what happened to all of that? What happened to the harmony that once existed? 
What happened to that dynamic relationship man once had with God, where God would walk in the garden in the cool of the day? Man chose to pump unleaded fuel into a diesel car, rather than choosing to follow the superior wisdom of our Creator. We, me, you, and every single human to have lived apart from Jesus, just like Adam and Eve thought we knew better, so we stopped relying on the designer's wisdom and chose to follow our own way. All of this happened when Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree, just as it's happened time and time again with us. With every decision to do what we thought was best, or what our modern culture told us, rather than following God's design and letting that direct our life decisions. In doing this, we distorted the identity and God nature we were created with. We no longer looked and behaved the way we were designed to. Instead, we rebelliously forged a new sinful nature, one that results in complete dysfunction across various areas of our lives. Here are just a few examples of life before the fall and just a glimpse of the dysfunction we live with as a result. Naked and unashamed. Adam and Eve were both naked but unashamed. Totally content, free from insecurities and unconcerned about the opinion of others, opinions of others. Confident God had made them perfectly, lacking nothing. How does that compare with the world we live in today? Even in the church, if we're really honest, though we hunger for relationships where we're able to be fully naked and unashamed without fear, Many of us have first-hand experiences of where people have failed us on this. So we live lives that are covered up in part, only showing the parts of us we're comfortable with people seeing. Confident in God's wisdom. When God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he gave them the freedom to eat from a huge range of trees. Of all the various trees created, he only marked one as not to be eaten from. Genesis 2, 15, 17. Adam and Eve had no reason to question this. Instead, they happily trusted in God's wisdom. Does that sound like us today? And again, even as a Christian, as someone who professes to follow Jesus, how are we doing with this? How are we doing with really, tr really trusting fully in God's wisdom and way above our own? Here's just one litmus test to think this point through on. How do we deal with those who do us wrong? Do we choose our own way, isolate, slander, sow discord, etc.? Or do we choose the kingdom way, seek reconciliation, where possible, forgive and pray for them? Dependent on God as the provider. God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden with all that he needed to sustain him. See Genesis 2 verse 8 to 15. Before the fall, we don't see Adam or Eve wanting for anything or trying to meet a need outside of God's provision. In fact, before Adam even knew he had a need for companionship, God already met it by creating Eve. How does that compare with our existence experience today? Sorry, Can we fully say that we completely trust and depend on God as our provider? For all the things that we need in, in this life, from money to work to relationships, family, marriage and more, do we truly believe that he won't withhold any good thing from us in every season and if we don't have it, it might be because he knows it wouldn't be good for us in the now. Understanding the problem. In choosing to go after our own way rather than following God's, there's been a departure from what it looks like to be a child of God. A departure from accurately reflecting God's attributes and ways on earth. No longer looking and behaving exactly like our father. This is a departure from our original design. It's a departure from our God nature. The consequences stem deep and affect all areas of life. 
We're no longer naked and unashamed. We no longer solely rely on God's wisdom and we've grown callous to any central dependence of God as our provider. This begins to show us how far we've fallen from God's original design. And this is the heart of where our problem lies. In the next chapter, we'll start to look at the bridge between God's design and the presently distant experience of mankind. It's not all doom and gloom, and the chapters that follow will start unpicking key truths that we so easily so easily miss out on, even as God's children. Boom, bam. So what were your thoughts on on the rest of the stuff that we read? Mm, nothing immediately that jumps up, to be mm. honest. How about you? Um, I think it's just that thing of how much do we know and how much do we choose to follow the the design and intent of God for our lives? Mm. Like you said, are we actually dealing with things the way that that we've been that we've been commanded, we've been taught to, you know, that the instruction manual tells us to, or are we choosing to to try and do it our own way? And is that why we see some of the results that we see in our lives? Mm. I hear that, man. It's very true. Very, very true. Anything else, Dad? Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Reason to Behold podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts. Send them in. Info at Reason to Behold. Reason to Behold on all social media. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.